0: Join me to create a life and work that truly fit you, infused with meaning and magic. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. You know, we have so many, several hundred really amazing interviews on the Wellpreneur podcast. And sometimes I just feel like the older ones don't get listened to enough and they're still filled with such valuable information. So this week we're doing a throwback to one of our episodes that is super inspiring and still filled with really worthwhile, inspirational info and advice. This is an interview with Jennifer Fugo of Gluten Free School. We did this episode back in season one in 2014. And Jennifer shares how she grew her business to get 18,000 Facebook likes within one year and was even featured on the Dr. Oz show on TV. Jennifer is really inspiring. And I wanted to make sure that especially if you're a new listener, you didn't miss this episode. As always, you can get all the links on our website. At Wellpreneur.com. And if you'd like to connect with other wellness entrepreneurs, then come over to our Wellpreneur community group on Facebook. There are over 6,000 wellness entrepreneurs in there sharing about their businesses and their interests in well-being, and we'd love to have you take part. You can find us by just searching Wellpreneur on Facebook. Okay, now let's get into this interview with Jennifer Fugo of Gluten-Free School. So I'm here today with Jennifer Fugo from Gluten-Free School, and I'm really excited to talk to Jennifer because she's got a lot going on online, including a really awesome online program about the gluten-free lifestyle, and she's just had some pretty major publicity that we'll talk about. So welcome, Jennifer.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Amanda. I really appreciate it.
0: So, just to start off, if people aren't familiar with your business, Gluten Free School, can you kind of give us an overview of um, how you came to, to start that and what your business
1: looks like today? Well, the reason that I started Gluten Free School is because I got sick. And through a long story, which I, I won't bore everyone with the details, but I, I realized that I was gluten sensitive. And as I was looking at all the resources that were online, so many were focused upon like junk food somehow there's this myth that anything that's marked gluten-free is healthy. And as you and I both know, that's not the case. So I wanted to give people who had to live gluten-free, whether they're celiac, gluten-sensitive, maybe they have thyroid issues or other autoimmune conditions, resources that weren't being talked about, whether it's like basic nutrition information about like how much should I eat to why thyroid issues are more predominant when you have gluten sensitivity or celiac disease and and how, you know, soy could be a problem. I mean, it's there's so many topics to touch on. And the idea, as I was looking at my surrounding community in Philadelphia, we have a very large gluten-free scene because of the National Foundation for Celiac Awareness is, is headquartered here. Mm. But I was noticing that people weren't really coming out to events. They were, not you know, it was like, oh, I can't get there because of traffic. And I, it just, I don't know. There was something about the in-person thing as fun as it is. I wasn't reaching a broader audience. So I thought, Well, what about the people that live in rural America or rural parts of the world that have an internet connection, but don't have a support group nearby Mm -hmm. and don't have, you know, a Barnes and Noble to go to, you know, or some big bookstore to, to get resources from. And I thought, well, I'll bring it to them. And that's how the idea of having an online, literally a borderless school that people could come to and get all these resources. It would be easy, fun and create a community that of people that they may not have met otherwise. So, was always your intention to do it online. Yes, from the get-go. Yeah, And I really targeted people that I knew, like they might not have high-speed internet, so they might not be able to do webinars. I thought, okay, I'm going to start with teleclasses. So doing everything over the phone, because everybody has a phone. You know, you have to think about what resources are available to the people that you're reaching and work with that. And also the age group that I'm targeting is not super tech savvy. So I even sometimes have web, have trouble playing webinars on my computer. And I thought, well, you know, I'm pretty tech savvy. If I'm having trouble, these women might as well. So I wanted to keep it as user friendly as possible.
0: Such a good point, because I think sometimes we can be tempted to create what we want, you know, what we'd like to see as health as a person. So maybe we'd like webinars or we're quite into technology, but it actually needs to be all about your customer, right? Your clients. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly and and you can't do what other people are doing simply because it's the in thing mm-hmm. and I a slight slight aside, but a lot of people are saying video is the next big thing you have to have videos on your site. Well, I've pulled people on my Facebook page and I have a very large Facebook community and I said, do you want written articles or do you prefer the videos and overwhelmingly, and this was literally a couple months ago. Overwhelmingly, people said I prefer a written article because it's something I can go back and reference. I can go back and reference pieces. I can read it when I'm not allowed to be listening to something. Mm -hmm. It's just more user-friendly for me. So as much as people are saying video is king, I hate to break the news to you. If your audience doesn't want it, you're wasting your time.
0: Yeah, it's all about know your audience. That's such a great idea. Like Just a simple, not even a survey, just literally asking your community on a Facebook page or in an email, what do you prefer? doing yeah. that. That's great. So you mentioned your Facebook page, which is massive, 18,000 Facebook fans.
1: <laughs> I know. I I it, it astounds me when I think about I started I literally started targeting Facebook this year. <laughs> Not this isn't wow. like right. This hasn't been like a 3-year journey. This has only been since January. And I have worked my butt off. I've done a lot of different strategies, but one of the biggest things that I can tell people Is that, yes, Facebook is probably not set up in the most, I don't know, it's it. In a sense, we are everybody who's using Facebook as a business is kind of getting screwed over a little bit. Like you're paying all this. You have to pay for people mm-hmm. to see stuff and you have to pay for this and pay for that. And then they keep decreasing the amount of viewers that will see your content until you pay more. And I get that. You know, there was a point that I went through where I was very frustrated. But the thing that you have to realize, and this is what I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, is like if you were to advertise in your town and you went home and you're like, OK, I have a limit, you know, who do I want to reach? Okay, I'm going to make up a flyer on my computer, print it out, and I'm going to post it all over telephone poles. Mm-hmm. Or you could just suck it up and accept that marketing and advertising is a part of your business and say, all right, I'm going to jump into the, the big kids pool. And I'm going to take out um, an ad on a billboard that's on a highway that has 100,000 people driving every day on it. Well, I mean, the truth is, you're going to get a better response, assuming you have a good ad through that uh, right. billboard, than you are from a telephone poll ad that you know is raining, getting rained on, and <laughs> the ink is getting ruined every other day. Because that's truthfully what is happening, and people are—they don't want to spend money on Facebook because they were able to join for free. But Facebook is just as much of an advertising platform as is that billboard you drive past on the highway. Mm-hmm. And when you view it from that perspective and you just go, "You know what? I need to invest in this." If that's where your fans are because I right. think my that's fans are on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, please don't pay for just like buying likes. That's a bad idea because you're not going to get engagement. If you are going to pay for Facebook, you want to pay for to get yourself in front of people who already like the topics that you're talking about. You want to get yourself in front of that audience so you can use Facebook to build a relationship with these people and also get leads from it. Because ultimately you can't sell on, you really, Facebook is not a good platform to sell. You want to get the leads so then you can have a more intimate relationship with people to be able to sell them when there is a program happening. Right. So tell us before we get,
0: because I want to ask you a few more questions about Facebook and how to get started with that.
1: But can you give all of
0: us an overview kind of of your products so do you have products you still do one-on-one coaching like what does this look like just so we get an idea of your business
1: I definitely have the, the free giveaway when people sign up for my newsletter. I put together a really beautiful ebook. And listen, if you don't have, if you're starting out with limited funds, make a PDF on your computer, like do something very simple, but give people something very valuable. You need to make them feel wowed, like right off the bat. And then from there, I have different small course offerings. So they're like lower level, low commitment. I have a dining course. So people are afraid to go out and eat gluten-free at restaurants. It walks them through the process of how to do that how to talk to people. And then from there, I have other courses. So I'm going to be restarting a monthly program on how to go gluten-free. And that'll start in January. And that's, again, a monthly subscription. From there, I also have these courses that span anywhere from three weeks to six weeks. And they're like bootcamp intensives on a specific topic. Those are a bit larger of a financial commitment, but it's still really manageable for most people to get involved with. And lastly, I do still have a few spots available for private coaching. However, my time is very limited because I am back in school. And so I you know I decided to really deepen my knowledge base of nutrition and especially around like gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. So I have very limited time. So I see a few private clients, but most of the income that's generated from my business does come from these group programs.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah, because it's really leveraged then too because you can help so many more people. Correct. And then also with the you said that you have a few low-cost programs. Those you don't even that you can buy those at any time, right? So you don't exactly. know- Yeah,
1: exactly. So for example, when someone signs up for my list, you know, they're like, okay, I want the the seven day meal plan, you know, this really great ebook that I created. Mm -hmm. And then when they sign up and they confirm for my list, they're redirected to a sales page that you can't find searching for it. And it offers the course at like this, the dining course at like half off. It's a one time only offer. And I will say that that has been a really great way to, for people who want to do something small with me. They're not, you know, look, they don't quite know me yet or they're Mm -hmm. not sure if what I'm saying is valid. And look, that's all. Listen, the inner on the Internet, people are skeptical. You have to face that reality just because you write great content doesn't mean people think that you're the real deal. Everybody on the Internet is worried that they're being taken advantage of. And and you have to do whatever you can to overcome those hurdles. And part of it is giving people stepping stones so that they're not all of a sudden slapped with like a twenty five hundred program right out the gate. Right. So they can kind of
0: buy something little and then get to know you and trust you and then then upgrade. Exactly. So would you recommend if if somebody out there is interested in getting started online, how would you recommend going about designing your the set of products that you have?
1: I think you want to think about the level of engagement and almost like a relationship you would have with like your spouse or, a you know, maybe a significant other that you've been with for a really long time is that in the beginning, you're getting to know one another, you're not going to be fully committal, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're sort of like, well, I don't know. And we play, you know, people kind of play games with one another, and they don't want to just let the person know who they are right up front. It's not to say that you, as a entrepreneur, like you need to be giving people content, you need to be giving them a reason to trust you. But that other person might not necessarily be 100% in, they need to get to know you. So you know, I think of it that way is like the beginning stages of dating. And then as you get more serious, and you're like saying the I love you's, then people are like, oh, okay, I you know, I don't mind shelling out, you know, maybe $100 or $200 or $300 for a longer course to really get into your philosophy. Like really engulf themselves in it.
0: But I guess you have to make sure that those low cost courses are still really great content, like really over deliver on those so that they will upgrade.
1: Correct. Like you you can't give someone like sell. I, I it always makes me cringe when I see like 10 tips to do this. And I'm like, you're going to sell that for $17. Like no one's going to buy that. I'm really sorry, but they're just not. You really need to talk about your philosophy and especially too, because so many entrepreneurs online, they're over delivering and there's a reason for that. And so people have an expectation that when they're getting especially digital content, you don't have to deal with a publisher. You don't have to deal with the shipping costs. So you can't charge The same price. I mean, you could, but you better have a lot of stuff in there for people to use. Um, You really have to give, give, give in order for people to develop that relationship with you that you are the teacher, you know, that they're looking for. Let's jump
0: back onto Facebook for a little bit. So you said because at the time of recording this is December and you said you started in January really getting going with your Facebook fans. And now you have 18,000 Because you know, I'm sure you remember from the beginning, you know, you start off and you're posting and it just feels like you're sending messages into a black hole. You're not necessarily getting engagement because maybe you have 100 likes
1: on your page.
0: Yeah. So what's some advice or some tips you could give to people just starting out on how to, you know, what should they be doing on Facebook to start to well,
1: build that? One thing I would say is think about it like a conversation. I think there's this tendency because we feel that we are the expert, that we want to dictate to everyone what is appropriate and what is not about their health. And we also use tend to use Facebook. And listen, I'm not saying I don't anymore, but I do know when I get up on my high horse a lot of times, it's not, it may not get quite as much engagement as when I'm more considerate of the fact that that Facebook really is a conversation. You want to think of it almost like this is how it was described to me. Think of Facebook as a pinball machine. That's how people who are on Facebook want it to be. They want it to be fun. They need to be told what to do. So if you think if you find that people aren't liking your posts, but Mm -hmm. yet they talk to you offline and go, oh, yeah, I saw what you posted. I really love that. But they didn't like it. You're not telling people what to do. So if you want people to like it, say click like if you agree, yeah. Or leave a comment below with your opinion. Um, you have or click share to send this, you know, some sweet potato fries to your friends. I mean, you have to tell people what to do.
0: Yeah, totally. I know that can feel awkward for some people in the beginning too. They think, oh, you know, I don't really want to ask people to click like. But actually, people are just skimming their news feeds, and they just kind of they don't think about it unless you tell them.
1: Right. They have no idea what to do. They don't understand how Facebook is wired. And truthfully, you know, I always try to ask at least one question a day. That always helps get engagement up. Um, That's the really important thing is how much are people sharing, liking, commenting on your post? Because if you don't have engagement within the first four to five minutes of the post going up, Facebook, it'll just disappear from other people's feeds. So you have to remember that Facebook is about testing. It's about experimentation. So if it doesn't work the first time or the second or the third or the 10th or the 20th time, you have to keep trying. You can't just stop simply because you figure it's the content or, you know, people just don't care. Then maybe you're out of touch with what people on your Facebook page are looking Mm for. I think, yeah. Yeah. And maybe you're also not talking to the right group of people. And I think that's not
0: just about Facebook. That's kind of just marketing for your business in general. It's just an experiment, isn't it? You just need to keep trying things and changing them and seeing what resonates, asking people what they want. I mean, you it's, just you can't give up if it doesn't exactly. work the first time. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And like I said, I mean, you may be interested. I mean, one of the things that I've done before a big launch to really build up engagement so that people are more active on the page and see more things is if I'm running a launch for like a cleanse or a program or something, you know, I'll pay for a like campaign. It's It doesn't mean that you're buying likes. It means that your ad is being shown. It pops up in people's feeds so that more people who like, you know, for in my Instance like gluten free and celiac and whatever other keywords I use are going to see it. Who aren't already connected to my page? That Mm -hmm. way, I can get more people in. And every I have a big newsletter. I send a newsletter blast every week, but once a month, I have a really big newsletter blast. And before that post, I always say, "Hey, if you haven't connected and and liked uh, or." Signed up for the gluten free school Facebook page newsletter. I'm sorry. We're talking about so many different things, but if you haven't liked, if you haven't signed up for my newsletter, go sign up now. The big newsletter drops on Monday or whatever. And I inevitably get, you know, 60, 70, 80 people that will sign up. I mean, granted, look, I have, I have 18,000 fans on my Facebook page, but right. that doesn't mean that, you know, getting five people or 10 people or 20 people from your page, because ultimately that's the idea. You want to use Facebook as a way to build that relationship mm-hmm. in the introductory stages. And And then slowly get them over onto your list.
0: Mm -hmm. Because on your list is then where you have the power to contact them and really sell to them and give them offers.
1: Exactly, because people are less, they don't really like to be sold to on Facebook. Mm
0: -hmm, Totally.
1: So I really want
0: to talk to you about PR because
1: when I went to your website, I noticed
0: right on the top, you had you on the Dr. Oz show, which congratulations, (laughs) that's
1: awesome. So thank you. How did that
0: happen? (laughs) Well...
1: It's It's been, aside from Facebook, I've also spent since this summer focusing on building PR for myself. I do not have a budget for a PR person, nor do I have a PR person. I think that's really important for people to understand. I just don't. And so I had to figure out a way to do it for myself. So I was introduced to this online resource called Horo, which is helpareporterout.com. And you get these newsletter blasts from them three times a day with different topics that reporters from all different news media need sources for. Like maybe they're looking for an, to interview someone or they just, you know, they need a quote or I don't know, whatever. And mm-hmm. I have, as a result, at first I was having very bad luck. I would what is called pitch (laughs) we call that pitching I would pitch all these people and I would get nothing no response and I became very very frustrated and figured you know no one's paying attention to me there must be some there must be something about this whole PR thing that I'm just like not privy to and part of what most people are not privy to is how to conduct themselves when talking to the media so just as much as you don't have a lot of time neither neither does the media they're not going to read a laundry list of information They want things short, quick and bullet pointed. It should be no more than five to seven sentences, if that, probably broken into two paragraphs to make it easy for them to read. They want a very brief bio, maybe a link, I because you can't send attachments like a photo, but I always send a URL link to my headshot and all the links to my website and my phone number, because they may have a very brief deadline and want to get in touch with you right away. So I had met, I was introduced to a woman named Christina Daves, and she. She has started a business called prforanyone.com and Christina taught me how to pitch, how to answer these pitches, how to look for relevant information so that I would have a better shot at getting media end up being interviewed. So Mm -hmm. like the Dr. Oz thing is a direct result of that because they were looking for gluten-free success stories. And I also have an incredible before and after photo. So I gave them a link to that before and after photo, which really like sealed the deal. And then I've been interviewed for CNN. I've been, and that was like twice. I'm in an article about food allergies and restrictions for weddings. And then also uh, I was interviewed about the gluten-free diet in general and a podcast that's also on CNN. I've been in Yahoo News and oh gosh, eHow. And actually I got hired by the Demand Media, which is the parent company of eHow and Livestrong and a bunch of other online resources to shoot expert videos. And that was the result of responding to a query. If they were looking for on-camera talent of people that were knowledgeable about different topics. And I used Christina's formula in order to basically sell myself to them mm-hmm. in a very short and brief email. So would you say that that
0: your PR has like directly driven, say, all your Facebook likes and just a lot of your business?
1: Here's the thing. I've, I've heard a lot that getting on TV is great, but it's not necessarily going to sell your products for you. It's, it doesn't have the greatest conversion rate. However, the thing is, just like you were saying, you're like, I went to your website and I saw this and I was like, wow. Mm hmm. What it does is it creates that, you know, it elevates you to a certain level of like, number one, this person is really serious about what they're doing. And number two, that they're really working hard at their business and I might want to know this person. So it has really been beneficial to for my community to see me even more now as an advocate for them in the gluten-free space.
0: Right. It really positions you as a leader and an expert. Correct.
1: Yeah, correct. And that's what's most important. Um, You know, not everything I can't, I'm not going to say that every PR opportunity is convenient and it's like filled with roses and it's <laughs> perfect. But every single one has really helped me in some way, shape or form. And I've had to get creative sometimes in how I leverage them and how I tell people about them. And I was able, especially with this Dr. Oz thing, I was able to then go back All the organizations that I have had contact with and I know someone there and different expos because I've really been focusing next year on getting on stage and and speaking on the topics that I am so passionate about and saying, Hey, listen, this is something that I did. Here's the clip and people were like, Wow, you were on national TV, you were very poised, you were, you know, clear and concise. Again, it elevates you and that's the thing to keep in mind.
0: And it's gonna open doors. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. I mean we're We're kind of getting to the end of our chat together, but if you just had a few tips, maybe, you know, the three things that somebody just starting out online with their their health coaching or their wellness business, what would you share? What would you advise them to do?
1: I would say the first thing is to make your website not about you. It should be mm. about your target audience. And I made that mistake in the very beginning. This is the second time I have had a, a business. It's not the first. And my initial one was evolving well, and evolving well it was the worst word combination ever because I would get queries going. You know, the situation in in uh, is between Israel and Palestine is evolving well. Like it never, nothing <laughs> good ever came from that. That word combination, people didn't understand what it was about. Mm -hmm. So make your business name either your name or, you know, a a grouping of words that's short, concise and succinct and that there is branding. There's clear branding. It's not like fuzzy, cute pictures that you think are nice. You've got to ask other people what they think. And don't get offended when people either don't like it, don't get it. You have to remove yourself from that because you're not your customer. That's the most important. That was one of, I think, if I had learned that lesson out the gate, I would have saved myself thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would tell you is do not start a podcast. Um, It is... In the expensive, it costs money. It is very time intensive. It is not something to do right out the gate unless you already have a list. In the beginning, which is what I did, is create a masterclass series. So once a month, find an expert, interview them, and then you can host an event that with this pre-recorded interview and ask people to sign up on your list in order to hear the interview and to mm-hmm. get access to mm-hmm. the link. That was how I built my list in the beginning. And now I've gotten to a point where I noticed that the master classes over this past year were just people signing up over and over and over again who were already on my list. I said, okay, it's time to do a podcast because that I've tapped it out at this point. So I would really suggest that people keep it small, keep it simple. A podcast is great, but only if you already have certain things in place. Otherwise, it's a huge unnecessary hurdle and a distraction.
0: That's a really interesting strategy because basically, I I know I've heard from a lot of health coaches that maybe they don't quite feel like an expert yet if they're just starting out. And so basically what you're suggesting is to use somebody else's expert status, like invite an expert on or a company that specializes in that area and interview them.
1: And then you're kind of expert by association and you build your list. And you also develop a relationship with them. Like I interviewed, and this is really funny, kind of a funny short story, but I, the first person I ever interviewed was Dr. William Davis who wrote Wheat Belly. Yeah. I mm-hmm. literally just saw his about his book. I had read it, and I I just sent him an email on his contact form, and I said, "Hey, would you mind if I interviewed you for my masterclass series?" And he, I got this email back right away saying, "Sure, yes, absolutely. When can we set it up?" And I was like, "He's number top number five on the New York Times bestseller <laughs> list." Like, oh my god, it was the worst interview. I I mean, I'm sure I know p- people have listened to it and they like it and they get a lot out of it, but when I listen to it, I sound it's so uncomfortable and so nervous. Mm-hmm. Was a fir- and of course, the first person I have to interview is like that's a very name. Person. Yeah. However, I'm still in touch with Dr. Davis. And if I have something that I'm looking for, I email him. He emails me right back. We've talked about doing things in the spring together. So it develops a relationship between yourself and these other people. So I think that that's really important. And it also. You know what? I don't need to know everything. I I really don't. I don't need to be an expert on every facet of living gluten free or paleo or, you know, vegan or whatever. I don't need to know everything. And there are some really well-versed people out there that have written books that have done, are doing incredible things and you know, highlight them, share them with your audience. Well, in a way you're like a
0: connector. So your audience is interested in gluten-free and you give them access to all these great experts and all these other people. You don't necessarily have to know it yourself. I think that's a great way to look at it. And then
1: like all of the, all of the things. And when you're ready to do your podcast, you have all these interviews and Mm -hmm. you can just start releasing them. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to be putting together a podcast every single week. I was able to do it every other week or once a month or whatever, because I had this back huge backlog of all these audios that I had already done. Right. So it was just, it was a very good way to do it without having to spend a ton of money. And, but it also really, it really built my list. And that was the most important part of it. The last thing I would say to people is get organized. You need to find a system. And I know that, you know, I hear this from all the time from people. They'll say, well, I'm really creative and I just I get inspired. You know what? That's not going to help you run a business. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, business, if you want to be the creative force behind a business, then go into like being a creative director. But even there, there is structure. And in order to thrive and have a business that is consistently connecting with people and meeting their needs and maybe exceeding their expectations, even, you have to have structure because people don't have structure. And when you don't have structure, they sense that and they're not really interested. So they're coming to you for structure, even if that means that every Monday, you have a blog post that comes out and it's got to be something that's engaging and meets their needs, not what you're interested in. They don't care what you are interested in. They only care about themselves. It's it's sort of a sad thing when we think about how selfish people inherently are. But the truth is people just want to talk about themselves. Well, yeah, and
0: everyone's busy. And so I think, you know, they're not coming to you because you do all these interesting things. They're coming to you because you have a solution to their problem. And so that's what you need to keep feeding them on a schedule that you've set up with them because you set expectations yeah because I've definitely found like if you start emailing more than you had told them you would or less people start to wonder like they either unsubscribe because it's too much or like Mm -hmm. ask you where you've gone and you don't look very professional so yeah
1: and truth be told, for people who unsubscribe, and guess what? I get unsubscribes. Don't feel bad when you get unsubscribes. We all do. That's mm-hmm. the reality of things. And you will get more unsubscribes when you do launches as, and as you send more more emails because you have something going on. And that's okay. Those people just aren't interested. They may never be interested in engaging with you further than giving them their email address. And that's all right. Don't get down on yourself. Don't think people hate you. It happens. It's just a part of the natural cycle of life. You know, I think the one thing I was saying about getting a system, like I have a system set up in a spreadsheet on Google Docs that my assistant looks at. So she knows what my three main priorities are each week. And I have like priority number one is in red. Then priority number two is in yellow and priority number three is in green. And I know that I've got to bust through priority number ones like by Tuesday. And that's all the stuff. Even I, you know, I'll have it like I've got to write my Monday, my article for next Monday. I've got to do schedule the thing. I've got to create the images. I've got to set it up in. I use a Weber as my newsletter thing. And mm-hmm. I've got to like set up all the tweets and everything. So I have it literally piece by piece. So I forget nothing. And then I check it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where people go wrong is they just assume they're going to remember and you're not. As your business grows, you will not remember all those different facets. So just write it all out for yourself. Make yourself make a system. plan for the next week and systematize yeah. it. Yeah. And um, one last thing I'd really love to share with people is I think it's great to connect with people that have done more than you are and have gone further than you are. But the one thing to remember is that they too are ex- incredibly busy. So if you really are serious that you want to grow your business and you want to like find almost like a mentor, you want someone to sit there for an hour and look at your website and tell you what you're doing wrong, just realize that you've got to give something to get something. And that's how this is in the entire world. you can never going to get anything for free. So think about, you know, really respecting those, those people's time and approaching them with, you know, what can I do for you? Or, you know, be aware that no one's going to, most people are not going to have the time and the space to sit down with you and give you all their time, you know, especially if you're not fully serious and committed to your idea. So just realize you've got to kind of give something in order to get something back from somebody else who's going to give you a lot of experience.
0: Yeah, well, I think it also starts a relationship on a better foot. Like if you're either paying for it or you're giving them something of value, you know, exchanging something with them, it makes you more, you know, it takes you out of that needy space where you're just asking for stuff and it actually makes you a bit more of a, not a peer, but, you know, somebody that can also provide value.
1: Correct, then, and I think, yeah. and you use the information. Like you're gonna, you you paid for it. You know, mm-hmm. when I I don't I don't go. I have a friend that helped me with my Facebook stuff. I paid him. I paid him for an hour of his time to talk to him about what was going wrong with my thing. And now I have some issue issues with my website. And I'm like, can we sit down for an hour? Tell me how much it's going to be. You know, but he's my friend. But I value his time. I know he's very busy. And in order for me to really get the most out of it, I want to pay for it because guess what? P- freebies like oh, my friend said they're going to do it for free. It ain't ever going to happen. You're right. going to be well, waiting six, eight months before that, that project is done. I'm sure everybody's had that experience with health advice, too, is that so
0: many people will come up to you and be like, oh, what should I be eating? Or how do I lose weight? Or what? You know, and ask for all this free advice. And they never do anything about it. But if you have a client that actually signs up and pays, then they start to take action. I think it's the same thing here. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, this has been just jam-packed with info. I could talk to you for another hour. <laughs> but um, unfortunately, we're out of time. So thank you so much. Um, can you let us know where people can find you and what you're, you know, the next exciting things you're working on?
1: Yeah. So everybody can come over to GlutenFreeSchool.com, And if you want to check out what I'm doing, the best thing, and this is what I do with other entrepreneurs that I'm curious, you know, or health people or whatever, what they're doing, I sign up for their newsletter list and you'll get a sense. You'll It'll actually, if you sign up, it'll walk you through the process that I described with you, Amanda. And so you'll get a sense of like how I do things. And then I'm also on Facebook. It's three words, gluten-free school. There's no hyphen in between gluten and free. And I'm also on Twitter. I'm on Pinterest. I'm on Instagram. And actually uh, you'll get an email if you sign up for my list about all the places to connect with me on. And I think one of the biggest, most important things is to be aware of who else is out there and what they're doing well and not copy them, but to model what other people are doing and take have your own creative take of how you can make it work for you and for your audience. Thanks so much for listening
0: to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast.
1: As always, you can find all the links in the show notes
0: at wellpreneur.com. Come connect with us in our Facebook community called the Wellpreneur Community on Facebook. And we'll see you back with the next episode very soon.